All right. So is there a young boy or girl who's been practicing their Greek this week? Spencer, that's your cue to come forward. All right, Spencer, you're going to repeat after me, and we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. All right, we need to face the courtyard. Say, Thelo na. Thelo na. No riso. Tan Cristo. I heard you calling my name, Maranatha. I'm the Apostle Paul, the least of the apostles of Jesus Christ, and I'm confident the one closest to death. Have, have you ever been terrified? I mean, really, really afraid? That's what every day in Rome is like right now. Things are so unsettled. Things are so unstable. Our emperor, I think he's gone mad. He, he caused a fire that burned a third of Rome. And then looking to shift the blame off himself, he decided to blame Christians for the fire. And now we're public enemy number one. It's a hard time to be a follower of Jesus in a city like Rome where you can't trust the rulers. I guess that's nothing new. People who are in power often can't be trusted. I think back to my days in, in Caesarea, where I was imprisoned by Felix. Felix held me there for two years, for no reason at all, didn't ever pronounce judgment, and by the time the Romans figured out that he was an incompetent leader and replaced him with someone else, I had been languishing in jail for two years. And when his replacement arrived, Festus, he just opened up my trial all over again. The Jews came, they accused me, and, and Festus realized rather quickly that there was no legal reason to continue to hold me because I had not broken any Roman law. And so the Jews, realizing how he was thinking, requested again that I be released to them, since it obviously was a religious problem that I was involved in. Well, I didn't want to be released to the Jews because I knew I would meet with a convenient accident and be killed. And so I did the only thing I could think of. I said to the new governor, I said, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. I have the right to appeal my case to Caesar's court, and I do so appeal. Well, that got his attention because he realized I did have that right, and so he decided he would have to send me to Rome and not release me to the Jews. The problem that created for Festus was this. If he was going to send me to Rome to be tried in the emperor's court, he'd have to have some legal thing to charge me with. And he didn't have anything. So really, there was no reason to send me to Rome. And this created a problem for Festus. He had to figure out something to charge me with. Well, about that time, King Agrippa II came to town. He was, he was the Jewish ruler of the area. He had come into favor with Rome, and Rome had given him the title King of the Jews. And so he had 
authority over sort of the Jewish side of the government and the Roman Tribune was the sort of the political force of Rome present and they tried to work together to keep peace in the region. And Agrippa was of Jewish lineage, so he had heard of the prophets. He knew about the heritage of the Jews. So when I finally came before him, I appealed to that side of his heritage. I said, Agrippa, you, you believe the prophets, don't you? And he said, yes. And I explained from the prophets who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He felt a little pressed. He said, Paul, you're trying to convert me? And I said, Agrippa, not only you, but every person I speak to, I desire for them to know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he can change our lives and make everything different. Agrippa shook his head. He said to Festus, you know, this guy's done nothing wrong. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could let him go right now. But since he's appealed to Caesar, off to Caesar he must go. And so plans quickly moved after that point. And they began to prepare the task of taking me, along with other prisoners, uh, by ship to Rome. It was a, a long trip to go all the way from Caesarea, past Asia Minor, past Greece, all the way to the boot of Italy. And it would take a long time to get there. We weren't under any illusions. And it wasn't really the best time of year for sailing. It was late in the year, and well, the winds were not favorable for that kind of journey. I was blessed to be able to have Luke and Aristarchus join me on the journey, so I wasn't without companions for the trip. We got into a big grain ship, and we started west. The problem is, the winds were coming from the west. And so if you're driving into the wind, it's very difficult to sail. And so what we did was we attempted to sail southwest and to go underneath some of the islands that are in the sea there in order to be able to tack and make progress towards our destination. Unfortunately, the winds were very, very strong. And by the time we got to Crete, to the island of Crete, and we, we sailed across the bottom port of it, we, we stopped to resupply in a little harbor town called Fair Haven. And while we were there, the captain of the vessel called us together, the centurion, me, several of the leading passengers, and said, I have a decision to make and I'd like your advice. We are moving across the bottom of Crete, but just around the corner up on the coast is the harbor of Phoenix. And that would protect us against the winter winds, which would come from the east. And so, because it was around the corner of the land, when the big winds came from the east, we wouldn't be susceptible, and we would winter there. But it meant a 40-mile journey around the edge of the island to a harbor protected by the mountains from the eastern winter winds. They thought it probably made sense to take the risk, even though the storms were starting to build up as it was. 
but I didn't feel good about it. And it wasn't like I had a word from the Lord about it. I just, something was troubling me in my spirit and I cautioned them, I don't think we should do it. I think we should stay where we are even though this harbor is not well protected against the winter storms. But it was the captain's choice after all, it was his vessel. And so around the corner we went and no sooner did we get around that corner when the nor'easters began to blow and blow and the seas roared and foamed and this giant storm kicked up and we were helpless before it. It just drove our ship. It drove us. We had no idea where we were. There wasn't sun to navigate by. It was just frightening. I don't know if you've ever been on a ship in the ocean when the waves were high and crashing over the deck and when everyone on board was afraid for their lives. But the storm went on for days and days, and we were just driven. I tried to encourage the sailors to get some food and eat to maintain their strength because we didn't know how long the storm would last. And if they were so weak that they couldn't help this, the ship stay stable, we would all perish in the sea. We were terrified. We were terrified. We had already back in Fairhaven because we expected some heavy weather, wrapped giant ropes around the ship to hold it together. We had already lightened many things and thrown them overboard so our ship would be as light as possible in the water. But none of that seemed to matter. We were continually pushed, driven by the wind. About a week into this time, in prayer, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Paul, you must witness before the emperor in Rome. It is necessary for you to do that. And so I'm giving into your hands all the lives of those who sail with you. They have to just stay with the ship and I will rescue you. I was so encouraged. I was so relieved to have this confidence that came from God. And I knew that because he had spoken it, it would happen just the way he said. And so I went above board and I told the men, I said, listen, if you stay with the ship, we're going to be fine. We will not lose a single person. I said, we will lose the ship, but we're not going to lose a single person. Well, they were... They were somewhat encouraged by that, but sailors are a suspicious lot. And a bunch of them thought they would take matters into their own hands. They thought the ship was doomed anyway. And so they began to lower the lifeboat in an attempt to get away from the ship, thinking it would have more success than the giant grain ship did. But I told the captain, I said, the promise is that we stay together and we'll be spared. So captain, don't let those men escape. We need them to operate this ship. And the captain saw my logic, had the ropes cut, and the lifeboat was lost into the sea, and the ship was just lightened that much more. But we were still in a terrible storm. The, the waves were still driving us, and we were terrified. For another full week, we were adrift in the sea with no idea where we were going, what we were happening, when, when one morning, some of the sailors began to sense that maybe we were approaching land. I don't know how they sensed that. There was nothing visible anywhere. There was no land in sight. The clouds were dark, the winds were blowing, but they still took measurements. They put the rope over the side that was weighted and they found actually the depth of the water was decreasing. 
And they were, but we were moving closer to land. And they just figured out, eventually, they saw a piece of dot on the horizon. And they started to head for it as much as they could, though they had very little control of the, of the ship at all. As they got closer, they realized we were approaching a small island. And they did everything in their power to steer the ship toward that island. There was a beach there. I don't think you could really call it much of a harbor. And they decided the best way forward was to beach our ship there because it was the only land in sight and soon there would be no food left and we would just starve or die of thirst on the ship. And so our best chance was to beach the ship. And so we embraced that plan and the captain ordered the sailors to sail the ship towards that beach and off we went. As soon as the plan came to beach the ship, the Roman soldiers became very nervous. And I realized what they were nervous about. If we beached the ship and any of the prisoners escaped, they would be responsible for any escaped prisoner on their own pain of death, under pain of death. So they couldn't afford to have any of the prisoners escape in a shipwreck. And so they petitioned the captain, the centurion, to have all the prisoners killed so that none could escape. I didn't particularly like that idea. And so I spoke quickly to the centurion, who I had been assisting and speaking with, and to the captain. And the centurion spared our lives and says, no, Paul has been a reliable predictor of what would happen, and we will stay together as a ship so that we can all arrive safely into the harbor. Well, as they were attempting to move towards this beach, more beach than harbor, the ship ran aground, hit a sandbar. I don't, I don't know if you can imagine what it's like to be in a ship in the surf during a monstrous hurricane-like storm when the waves come crashing in and hit this ship that can no longer respond to the waves because it's stuck in the ground. It's like a giant hammer just pounding. Every wave that hits throws tremors through your entire body. And of course, the ship couldn't stand up to that, and it just began to break apart. All you could think about is what happens when this piece of a ship crushes you, or, or what will happen if, if you're in the sea where the sea creatures live. But I had a promise from God, and I knew that God would see us through. And God did exactly like that. The ship broke up into pieces, and every one of us grabbed on whatever what was floating nearby or what was breaking off the ship, and we just gradually floated into shore, driven by the storm onto the beach. Of course, we didn't know what we would find when we arrived on the beach. We were wet, we were cold. We soon discovered we had landed on the Isle of Malta, 600 miles off course. We straggled up to the beach exhausted, hungry, injured, sick, but every one of us alive. But would the townspeople welcome us? 
Would they want to just scavenge whatever they could get of our possessions? Winter was coming on. Would they be worried about their food supply and all these additional folks? Would, would we live to get off the beach? I confess, I was relieved just to have firm ground under my feet. But the fears were not all resolved yet. We began to build fires on the beach and tried to warm ourselves. I reached out to get a piece of wood for the fire, and a viper that was under the wood bit me on the arm and wrapped himself right around my arm. Vipers are very poisonous snakes. And everyone who saw that, including the townspeople who were beginning to arrive, looked at that and looked at me. Some of the townspeople began to chuckle a little bit. They said, obviously, he's a miserable criminal. He managed to escape the sea, but the fates would not allow a murderer like him to live. And so they sent the serpent to kill him because he doesn't deserve to live. And they just sat there and watched for the time that my arm would swell up and I would drop dead. Well, I shook the snake off into the fire, didn't want anyone else bit, and I continued to gather firewood, and my arm did not swell up, and I did not get sick, and I did not drop dead. And suddenly these townspeople had a different opinion. One minute I was a murderer, the next I was a god who could get bitten by poisonous snakes and live. I explained, I'm not a god. I'm just a person like you. And you can imagine, I took the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. The leading man of the island was a man who uh, lived in a house very close by. His name was Publius, and his father was very ill. He invited me to his home, and when I got there and met his father, I believed that the Holy Spirit was directing me to lay hands on him and heal him. And the Spirit of God healed his father. That was a great gift to Publius. And the hospitality of that island, the Isle of Malta, was amazing. The people were so kind to us, so generous, so helpful. For three months, we stayed on that island through the harshest part of winter when it would have been impossible for us to sail anywhere anyway. It was a rest, those three months, a time of gaining strength but also a time of telling the good news of Jesus to the people of Malta. And many came to believe in Christ during the time that we were there. After the three months were done, another ship came and we were able to get passage to Rome and we completed our journey north. All 200 and I can't remember how many there were of us. When we got to Rome, the believers welcomed me and Luke and Aristarchus warmly and generously. We were required to live in a home, but the home we were given was small. Well, you've gotten a look at the courtyard for some time now. And the great blessing for me was that my friends were allowed to come and visit, and I could hear news of the churches, and I could write to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ in all the churches that I had started. Two years I've been in this house, and it's been a blessing to be here, and yet there are times when 
there's so much more that I could be doing. There's so much more I'd want to do. I'd, I'd love to go to Spain and, and take the gospel to Spain. I, I've got dreams for, for the transformation the gospel can bring when people accept Christ in their hearts. Even here, though I can't get out, I look for the opportunity to speak to everyone I can about Jesus. The whole imperial guard has heard my story and the witness of Christ's transforming love for them. Many in the imperial guard have believed. I'm convinced that God has a purpose. I know that I must speak to the emperor. I know I must bear witness to Nero. I don't know why. I have trouble believing that he will accept that I don't know what will happen to me after I make that presentation, but for some reason, God makes it clear that I must witness in this way. It's his desire for me. And I, and I wonder what will happen. I think back to Queen Esther. You remember Queen Esther's story from the scriptures? God had her place in a specific time for a specific purpose, and he used her to save the nation in that time. Maybe, maybe he has plans for me like that. I don't, I don't know what God will do, but I trust him to know what's best. I think all of us, me, you, are in specific places at specific times for the sake of the kingdom, and for the sake of others. I think that we have the privilege of enabling others to make good choices. I think, I think we create opportunities for change in the lives of others by the way we interact with them and by the way we tell the story of God. It's part of why we exist. God sends us. And so we must make the most of every opportunity we have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share our story, to talk about the things that he's brought us through. In times of terror, remember what God has done. As I think back to this harrowing story of the shipwreck, all I can say is that our light and momentary troubles in no way compare with the glorious future that we have in Jesus Christ. They're nothing, as terrible as they felt when we were going through them, they're nothing compared to what will be revealed in us when one day we're in Christ's presence. I think, I think our past fear has a purpose in enabling us to tell the story of God's salvation and of his deliverance. I believe that if we recount the stories of our deliverance, that, that people, will, people will connect the dots and understand that God would like to be present in their lives too. And that we can create for others opportunities for change and decision perhaps weren't there before. And so I wonder, 
Do you know the purpose for which you are in this specific time and place? I'm not confident we always know it at the time. But I believe that if we will ask the Father to reveal to us what we should do, that he will lead us step by step. And we will be able to accomplish the purpose for which we are present. And that he will be able to complete in us the work that he began in us because he is faithful to us and he wants to use our surrender to him for his glory, but also for the good of the people who are around us. He wants to love our world through you. Will you be used by God? Will you seize your purpose in Christ? Will you tell your stories of deliverance? and create opportunities for others to step into the kingdom? I wish we could figure out his plan, but his ways are so much higher than our ways. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How mysterious are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we should be his counselor? Or who has ever given a gift to God that God would owe us some kind of repayment? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Maranatha. Would you receive the benediction from words written by Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome to his friends in Colossus? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Go in his grace and strength. God bless you.